going to look at this psalm today under the title, I to the Hills. Now, Christmas time is also the time for pantomimes. It's pantomime season. And one of the fun things at pantomimes is that are the two voices that will speak. Uh, the person, normally the villain of the pantomime, will might say something like, Oh, no, it isn't. And everybody will answer back, Oh, yes, it is. And that will go back and forth. And two voices contradicting each other. It's one of the very fun points of a pantomime. And the psalm we're looking at here today, like so many of the psalms, it's a psalm which has two voices speaking. And this is very true. It's very relevant because so often we can have two different voices speaking into our own minds, into our own lives. That leads us to the first point, which is the two voices in verses 1 to 2. Now, Psalms 120, right up to Psalm 134, are songs of ascent. These are Psalms which would be would have been sung by the people of Israel as they headed up to Jerusalem for the great feasts that happened, feasts like the Passover, the Tabernacle, and so forth. So as they would have went up to Israel for these great feasts, they would have sang these psalms on the way. Now, we can see the, the two voices in this psalm in the first couple of verses. First of all, in verse 1, we see the voice of fear. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? And here's someone who's nervous, who's frightened about the future, and is asking where their help comes from. Then verse 2 answers it. My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. One is the voice of fear, verse 1. And the next is the voice of faith. One Bible commentator puts it this way. He sees in the first voice, the voice of an inexperienced pilgrim. The voice of someone who hasn't maybe traveled the road much before and doesn't know how to cope with it. And the second voice is the voice of a more mature pilgrim who has been on the road many times, who's traveled this way before and has known the Lord's grace and help. And the wonderful thing for the fearful and the timid pilgrim, and we're all pilgrims, journeying by God's grace to the new Jerusalem. The most encouraging thing is we can have this mature pilgrim, the most mature and perfect pilgrim of all, traveling alongside us. That, of course, is Jesus. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 32, we read a wee verse there about Jesus heading up to Jerusalem for the last time before he would die. And it says in that verse that Jesus went out in front of them. The disciples were amazed, and others who were with them were afraid. You think as Jesus was taking the journey which this psalm is talking about, he's going up into the hills, he's going up to Jerusalem, he's traveling. What was it that amazed the disciples? What was it that frightened the other people who were with him? I think as Jesus went out in front, there was a, 
a determination. There was a seriousness to complete this journey because Jesus knew what was at stake for his people in regards to their salvation. And so the wonderful thing as we look at this psalm is that Jesus is the one who journeys with the pilgrims. We journey to the New Jerusalem when we trust in Jesus. And that's key. When we trust in Jesus, Jesus then walks with us every step of the way. Never alone. Never abandoned. Jesus is beside us. It speaks there in these verses about the hills. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Now, what was it about the hills that prompted the question, where does my help come from? There are a number of possibilities. The hills, as you can see in the picture, were so big and strong and dominating. And maybe the psalmist, as he looked at the hills, was thinking, where can I get strength and be as secure as these hills that have been here? generations. It's one possibility. The other possibility as he looked to the hills was going to Jerusalem, the travel down the Jordan Valley was a normal route and then the really high climb up to Jerusalem. It was a tough climb. So maybe as they're thinking about these climb, this climb and the fact that thieves and robbers would be waiting for pilgrims in order to attack them that is causing the psalmist to ask, as he thinks the hills, where does my help come from? So we can see here that the journey is never easy. That is why we need Jesus with us. We're going to look at a number of things about the Lord and about Jesus here. First of all, he's described as the helper in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Notice he's described there as the Lord. If you were reading this in the original Hebrew Bible, if you could understand those Hebrew squiggles, it would be the word Yahweh. That's the name by which God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. I am who I am. I'm the one who needs no one. I'm the one who has no equals. I am the one whose strength and power is unlimited. I'm the one who can do as I please. This is the one who gives help to his people. Yahweh is also the covenant-keeping name of God. It speaks of how this is a God who makes promises to his people, and keeps those promises. That name, the Lord. It's unfortunate maybe that it's translated as Lord in our Bibles. It's the name Yahweh or Jehovah, some people translate it. It speaks of the Lord who has no equal, who commits himself to his people. The psalmist goes on and says, the Lord who made heaven and earth. Why does he bring that up? Well, surely it's because the work of creation shows the power, the majesty, the strength of God. 
shows how everything in this world has been made by God and is in God's hands. And that includes even those things that might frighten us, that might scare us. The fact that he is the creator also speaks of how he is the sustainer. He's the one who's made this world and he keeps everything going. So he is the Lord, great I am, Yahweh. He's the creator who holds the whole world in his hand. He is the one who is the helper of those who trust in him. And look at this. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is absolute trust. This is 100% trust in the Lord. It's not 90% trust in the Lord and 10% in me. It's not 50% in the Lord and 50%. It's not even 99% in the Lord and 1% in me. The trust that is needed, it has to be absolute. I fear modern Christianity, when you compare it to Christianity of the past, often there's a, a shallowness in the Christianity of today. And I, I think there are two main reasons for this. First of all, people ha- do not have a right view of God. People's view of God is, is not high enough. The second problem, which comes from the first one, is that people have too high a view of themselves. Too low a view of God and too high a view of themselves. And one of the results of this is that people then do not trust 100% in the Lord, but put far too much trust in themselves. When I was on study leave, one of the things I was reading was John Calvin's Institutes. And the first section of those institutes just brings across just the highness of God, but also the lowliness of our sins and how sin has so affected every part of ourselves. We can do nothing that is good, even in our own strength. And I fear at times, and I'm not just looking at the world out there, I'm not pointing the finger out, I'm looking at myself, is that we don't really believe that. And instead of trusting in the Lord as our helper, we, we still trust too much in ourselves because we have too high a view of ourselves. Paul, when he was writing his great gospel letter, the book of Romans, he realized that if these people are going to grasp the gospel properly, they have to have a right view of themselves. And so in Romans 3 and verse 10, he says, and he's quoting here scripture after scripture. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. So he's saying there, listen, by nature, we don't seek after the true God. Left to ourselves, we would never reach out to God. That's what sin has done to us. He goes on and says, All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So left to ourselves, he's saying, 
We don't do that. We don't do that which pleases God. Again, do we really believe that? He goes on and says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Is that the way we see our mouth? You see, we're in a problem here because if we don't want to accept this, we're saying, and if we say it out loud, we're saying it with our mouths, God, you're a liar. But God's verdict is that our tongues left to ourselves are not what they should be. It goes on and says, Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they've not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And see, the problem is that God's verdict of mankind is we can do absolutely nothing to please the Lord. We can do in our strength absolutely nothing that is of any spiritual good. In our own power, we can't do it. But the problem is, so often, we're not convinced of that. And if we have too high a view of ourselves, if we think we're better than what the Bible teaches, if we think we're people who are of goodness in ourselves and what we can do by ourselves is good, I often, when you speak to people about being saved, they say, Look, I haven't done anyone any harm. They're saying that God's verdict of them is wrong. It was only after saying this about what people are by nature, Paul goes on in this Romans 3 and then speaks of a righteousness of being right with God, which comes not from keeping the law, not from what we do, but comes through faith in Jesus. See, people only really will come to this point of throwing themselves 100% on the Lord as their helper when they understand their sinfulness and understand then that Jesus is their only hope. That's true of salvation. You'll only come to trust in Jesus when you 100% realize you're a sinner. And have no hope in yourself. But it's also true of living the Christian life. Remember what Jesus said in John 15? In that, that lovely picture he gave of him being the vine and we are the branches. He said, apart from me, you can do three things. Some things. No. Apart from me, you can do no thing. Nothing. Now, do we believe that? Until we really believe that. That we can do nothing. As individuals, as a church, we can do nothing to better our situations. We can do nothing to please God. We can't do those things until we are convinced of that we will not have the faith that we need in the law. Until that too high a view of ourselves is pulled down, 
And the too low a view we have of God is lifted up. Until that happens, we will not be the people of faith that God calls us to be. That's why the next week, and this is for people who are not saved, but it's also for us who are Christians, we're going to be looking at the book of Romans. Because I think, I know personally my biggest need is I have to trust God fully and myself nil. Challenge you, do you really trust in the Lord? Or do you trust in yourself? One of the ways we can test that is how much time we spend in praying. So there we have the helper. But then thirdly, we have the watcher in verses 3 to 4. And this is a section that is both encouraging yet challenging. It says in verse 3, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I think there's a contrast here. You remember Elijah on Mount Carmel when he was speaking to the prophets of Baal and they were trying to call, call down fire from heaven upon their sacrifice and nobody was listening. And you remember Elijah began to tease them and began to say, maybe he's away or, or maybe he's busy or maybe he's asleep. Reality was their God didn't exist. But the true God we are told here, is the God who never sleeps, never slumbers. That means he never misses anything. Any pain, any hurt, any trial, he never misses it. It also means there's no sin he misses ever. But it's wonderfully encouraging to know that there's no affliction that we face in life that he, he doesn't see. We refer to Moses at the burning bush and the Lord coming and revealing himself as the great I am. You remember what the Lord said? He said to Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them. That is so different from the prophets of the false god Baal who didn't exist and who didn't hear, who didn't see, who couldn't come to intervene. But here the true God says, listen, I see, I hear, I know, and I come to intervene. I think another lovely picture of this in the Bible is, is Jesus, the time he walked on the water. You read about this in Mark 6, and you remember, he, <coughs> excuse me, he sent his disciples out in the boat. He wanted to spend time praying. He wanted to spend that night in praying. And from the mountain, he could see over the sea, the Sea of Galilee. He could see that they were making headway painfully, Mark's gospel says. So there they were down below. He was praying. They were down below. They were struggling in the storm. They, were, they weren't able to get across the sea. And Jesus was watching them. 
Jesus was seeing what was going on. What does Jesus do? He comes down. He walks on the water. He comes through the storm to be with them. Isn't that a lovely picture? I, I never read this psalm. I'm sure you've heard me say this before. I, I've never read this psalm without thinking of a lady I knew a number of years ago at Slat. Whose husband had died. Her son stayed with her for a week and then she, she chased him home after a week and she says to me, William, I went home up to bed that night. My Bible reading was Psalm 121. He who watches over Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. And I just said, Lord, well then there's no need for both of us to be awake. And I had the best night's sleep. Isn't that lovely? No matter what we're going through, the Lord sees, he understands. It's also a challenge. You know that lovely children's hymn? God is always near me. We can sing it as a comforting thing, but actually when you read it more carefully, it's about he sees what we do. He hears what we say. So why we have that wonderful blessing of him being there in our troubles, it should always keep us on our toes. With the two voices, the helper, the watcher, and then finally we have the keeper in verses 3 to 8. The words keep or keeps or keeper, that word is mentioned six times in these verses. Look at the end of verse 3. It says, he who keeps you will not slumber. Verse 4, he who keeps Israel will never slumber nor sleep. Verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now, what does it mean to keep? <laughs> does it mean that we will not suffer? Does it mean we'll never go through difficult times? If you look there at the beginning of verse 3, it says, he will not let your foot be moved. Now, there's some folk here this morning, and I can remember visiting some of you in hospital when you fell on the ice or slipped and, and you broke your leg, and I went to visit you in a hospital, and to be honest, I didn't read Psalm 121 to you. I never read this Psalm when I go to visit people who have slipped on the ice. Uh, I don't want to go into all the explanations when I'm in the hospital in that situation. He will not let your foot be moved. So, is this not true? Or are we understanding it the wrong way? So what does it mean he will not let your foot slip? What does it mean he will keep you? Well, this is speaking about our spiritual pilgrimage. This psalm is talking of how God is sustaining us on that spiritual journey. So it doesn't mean that we won't, unfortunately, uh, it's clippy the rest of the week, don't read this psalm and think you can go out and waltz on the, uh, the ice and you'll be uh, not hurt. It doesn't mean we won't have our slips and our slides in this world. It doesn't mean we won't 
fall into challenging times. But what it does mean is in the journey to the new Jerusalem, he will not let our foot slip. Psalm 73, the psalmist speaks about when he saw the wicked, he nearly slipped on his pilgrimage because of how the wicked seemed to get away. And so what it's saying here is on this journey, the Lord will truly sustain us. This makes me think of what we read earlier in John 17, that great high priestly prayer of Jesus. And Jesus, in that prayer about keeping his people, protecting his disciples, is speaking about eternal life. That's the primary subject of that prayer. He speaks at the beginning about how he's come to bring eternal life. Remember this, eternal life, if it's eternal life, it can never be lost. If it can't be lost, it's temporary life. It's not eternal. And the reason why eternal life cannot be lost is that Jesus keeps his people. And wonderfully, there, just before he was arrested, just before he's about to be tortured and then taken to the cross, what is Jesus doing? He's praying that his disciples would be kept. And he says, Father, when I was with them, I've kept them. And none has lost except Judas, but that was his destiny. He was never truly belonging to the Lord. Now, Lord, I'm going away from them. You, Lord, keep them. He was praying as a great high priest that they would be kept. And the key to how he keeps his people is through his word. In John 17 and verse 6, this is what Jesus says. They're not of this world, just as I am not of the world sanctify them, set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So how are we protected? How are we kept by Jesus? How in 2023 will we be enabled to keep going on? It is through the word. The word of Christ, the word of God, as that word lives in us and dwells in us, it's that word that keeps us. But I want you to notice something else, what Jesus said there. In speaking about the word, he says this, For their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. What does he mean when he says he consecrates himself? He's speaking about his disciples, how he has given his whole life to caring for them, loving them, protecting them. And that now means going to the cross. He would keep his people by going to the cross. And as the word enters the heart and the life of his followers, it's the power of what Jesus has done on the cross to deal with our sin. It's the power of what Jesus has done on the cross to keep us. That comes to us through the word of God. And as you go on in this, it says, there, it says in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, that's his disciples who were with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Christian. There, before Jesus would go to the cross, he speaks to the Father, 
about how he's going to go to the cross so that you, Christian, as you journey on, you will be kept by him. Next time you're a discouraged Christian, next time you feel struggling, can hardly keep going, remember this. Jesus was praying for you, and Jesus went to the cross so that you could be kept. You would be kept by his truth, by his gospel, by his word. Isn't that so encouraging? Can't we face 2023 with whatever it will bring with confidence? Think of the two voices, the voice of fear and the voice of faith. You have to feed the voice of faith. This great God, the Lord, Yahweh, the creator of the heavens, he's our helper. He watches over us. He never sleeps. He sees all that we're going through. And he is the keeper. He will not let us go. He says, none can pluck them out of my hand. And my father is greater than he. And none can pluck them from his hand. What a wonderful issue. This is only true. Remember this. It's only true. If you truly have come to trust in this Jesus. As your saviour. As your Lord. And if you haven't done that. This isn't true for you, of you yet. It can be true of you, even this day, if you come to Jesus. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for this lovely psalm, Lord. Just, just thank you for the encouragement that it brings to us. And Father, we just pray at this time that you would just help us, O oh God, to be those who truly trust in Jesus as our helper, our keeper, our watcher. We would increasingly, Father, today and over this year, have a higher view of Jesus and a lower view of ourselves. May we go forward with confidence, not in self, not in our church, but in Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.